Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. And we are lucky to have with us today a special guest. Tom Barbo is with us, and Tom is the chief CRNA at Lexington Surgery Center in Lexington, Kentucky, and he is also the founder of the Society for Opioid-Free Anesthesia, or SOFA. And we had another one of your constituents on earlier, Julia Harris, to talk about opioid-free anesthesia, if I can say that. Um, Three times um, really fast. Three times really fast. Um, And Mm -hmm. we're, we're looking forward to hear what you've got to say about this topic. And Well, this is a very timely topic, Jeremy, and I'm looking forward to this, especially, of course, I do office-based anesthesia, and this is not something that we particularly do, but as someone who had surgery in March, they did, you know, some people call it the voodoo anesthesia, this opioid free, and you know what, I was sold Tom, because you know they premedicated me with a gram of acetaminophen, Lyrica, high dose Celebrex, and I'm telling you, I didn't even hardly know that I had surgery. It was pretty awesome. I felt I felt pretty doggone good afterwards. So, I guess, um, like we said, it's very timely. So, why is this topic important to us right now, Tom? Well, right now we are sort of at the crux or the intersection of three different epidemics in our country. We have the opioid epidemic, which is huge and just destroying a lot of lives. And at the same time, we have the chronic pain epidemic going on. We've got more patients seeking treatment for chronic pain conditions than all other types of cancer put together. And we also have the obesity epidemic going on at the same time. And so all three of these really limit our ability to care for these patients when they come in from surgery with sort of the traditional anesthetic paradigm using opioids. 
And we've also found out that our opioid-based anesthetics may be contributing or part of the problem. Right now, chronic opioid use after surgery is one of the biggest complications, and that starts with the type of anesthetic that the patient gets. And I would assume their prescriptions afterwards. My contention with this is that some of this, I think, goes back into the PR of the hospitals whenever they tell people, you will have no pain when you come to our facility. And, you know, I think expectations are a lot different for people these days because, you know, I think you probably are going to experience some pain after a surgical procedure, and that would be my expectation. But it doesn't seem to be the public's expectations anymore. So I think that has contributed to it also. But that's just my personal opinion there. So whenever you're doing these opioid-free techniques, you feel like it's a safer anesthetic for patients? Absolutely. Opioids are, you know, the primary driver of the respiratory depression that we see after surgery. And using a opioid-free anesthetic, you completely eliminate that class of medication. So the risk of the patient having a respiratory event after surgery, and remember, respiratory events in the post-anesthetic care unit are the number one cause of emergencies. And so we can greatly reduce that risk. Well, I would imagine this also ties into the obesity epidemic that we have because all the undiagnosed sleep apnea patients that we do every single day, this has got to have some impact with those patients and obviously be beneficial. You know, everyone thinks about opioids and their effect on the respiratory system and the effect on patients stopping breathing. But what a lot of people don't think about as well is the fact that they cause weakness of the muscles in the mouth and the tongue. And that's what caused these patients with sleep apnea and obesity to obstruct. And that's the same thing that happens when someone sleeps nationally and why these patients need a CPAP machine or something like that to help them breathe at night. And, you know, to the other point, is that when we take these patients, their ability or the amount of opioids that we can give give them is much less than the average person out there. And so trying to control their pain after surgery with opioids is fighting a, a losing battle and levels more dangerous than with just a, a normal person. Hmm. So, Tom, you know, I know that the laws are changing around this topic, and I guess this is going to be kind of a two-pronged approach. One, I'd like to know how long has opioid-free anesthesia been around in practice? And two, how are the laws changing in our country now to help facilitate the use of opioid-free anesthesia, or are they not changing? Well, with around the the opioid epidemic, I believe it's somewhere between six and eight states have passed laws now allowing patients to sign no opioid directives when they enter the hospital. 
meaning that they are not allowed to even be asked, would you like an opioid for pain? And of course, they can rescind that at any point in their hospital stay. But these patients now have a, a law and a mechanism whereby when they enter the hospital, they can say, you are not allowed to give me any opioids. And so, you know, as this becomes more and more popular and more prevalent, the need for anesthesia providers to be able to provide a, a safe anesthetic and to manage post-operative pain without opioids becomes even more important. It's no longer optional. It's not just a matter of malpractice, but now you are opening yourself up to criminal charges and assault charges if you are giving these patients opioids. So let's talk about some of the research around this. Can you enlighten us on some of the recent research and evidence-based practice regarding opioid-free anesthesia? Absolutely. And it's something that is just exploding right now. You know, 10 years ago, there was one or two people out there who were doing some research on it and, you know, kind of educating other anesthesia providers about it. And they were seen as sort of the fringe element. But due to the opioid epidemic, the pain epidemic, these changes in our patient population and the research sort of backing up their claims, it's grown exponentially. And now there's at least a hundred studies going on currently looking at various aspects of opioid free anesthesia. And what we can say for sure is that one, like we mentioned earlier, this is a much safer anesthetic Two, there is much less post-operative pain when we do our anesthetic this way. And that's really kind of a two-sided coin or two reasons for that. One, the opioids themselves actually increase the amount of post-operative pain that the patient experiences. But then the medications that we're replacing them with also have an analgesic effect and actually treat the cause of surgical pain rather than just trying to cover it up. So that decreases the amount of post-operative pain as well. And other things you might not immediately think about, but rates of post-operative nausea vomiting are dramatically lower. And the other very sort of large, important research that's being done is its effects on cancer reoccurrence after tumor resections and, and other sort of surgeries to remove cancers and and 5, 10, 20 years down the road, these patients have a lower risk of cancer reoccurrence. Well, that's certainly an interesting fact. Those studies would probably be pretty cool. So if you have access to those, send those to us at links and we'll certainly put those in the show notes because I know for one I'd like to take a look at those so what are you replacing opioids with well this is one of the the issues that this field needs a little bit more work in because there's not a sort of set standard we don't know what the best medication or combination of medications are. And so everyone does it a little bit differently. And as you read the various studies, there's different protocols and things of that nature. 
However, just sort of a, a general overview, we're using a lot of the alpha-2 agonists in either, which is either Presidex or clonidine. Mm -hmm. We're using very low-dose ketamine, and people are sort of familiar with that from a long time ago when we gave very big doses of it to induce anesthesia, and people would hallucinate for days. Define low-dose, Tom. Define um, low-dose. What is that? Sure. Sure. On average, anywhere from 10 to 50 milligrams, typically, for an average length surgery, or if you want to do it weight-based, it'd be 0.1 to 0.5 milligrams per kilogram. Mm -hmm. And so we can use it, and it has a very strong analgesic property to it, and at the same time, avoid those unwanted side effects. We're using a lot of local anesthetics, and that's either in the form of a peripheral nerve block or as a a lidocaine infusion. We also use a lot of magnesium and beta blockers as well. And the thing about all these medications that we're using to replace opioids is that they're treating the process of surgical pain. And a lot of people think, have a very simplistic view of pain. They think pain is just what you're feeling. And if you dig a little bit deeper, they might think, well, there's a nerve that transmits that sort of a, a pain signal on up to the brain and your brain translates it and, it and gives you that experience of pain. But the reality is surgical pain is actually a very complex phenomenon. And the starts with the the tissue damage from surgery, and that actually causes physical, structural, and functional changes to the nerves that create this process of severe post-operative pain. And using these medications, we can actually treat that kind of like it's a, a disease process. And by treating surgical pain in that manner, we greatly reduce the amount of pain that the patient is actually experiencing. Well, if they're cutting on me, it is a disease process. I can tell you that. What about you, Jeremy? (laughs) It depends on which part they're cutting, I guess, but uh, that's another topic. Um, Tom, what got you interested in this type of anesthesia? You know, how far back does this go with you? And what, you know, because this is a passion of yours, and I know I've seen you speak about this before, and you've been around, and, you know, what kind of got you going down this path? This goes uh, all the way back to my residency, and... I did a project. One of the things we had to do is we had to give a presentation to the hospital or the anesthesia group where we were training at the time. And mine just happened to be on sort of multimodal pain management. And, you know, as in all things in life, I'd done a little bit too good of a job on this presentation. And I kept getting requests to to go to other meetings and give this presentation. And then in my own practice, as I started to incorporate more of these other medications and different classes of medications, the amount of opioids that I needed to give my patients just kept reducing to the point where I asked myself, why am I still giving this? It's such a a small amount. Is it possibly making any difference? And so sort of with trembling hands, I 
you know, I drew it up and I had it at the ready, but then didn't give it. Like an emergency and, drug, huh? <laughs> right, right. Because, you know, it's the way we're taught is it's one of the cornerstones of anesthesia. Patients need this, right? You can't give in anesthetic without it. And that's really sort of the, the mindset and where we've been for the past 60 years in anesthesia. And so breaking away from that mindset is a huge step into the unknown. And especially when, you know, there's not someone sort of teaching you or, you know, showing you the way. And so it was sort of this great trepidation. I had it ready to go. But to my surprise, the patient did much better without even you know, this small amount of opioid that I had been giving up to that point. They had less pain, they had less nausea, they woke up better. And so then I had to sort of go down the path of looking for research on this and find out why my patients have less pain when I stopped giving this quote unquote pain medicine, right? Very good, Dan. Tom, I've got a question for you. You know, I've heard stories and, and, you know, out there. And again, I don't, I'm assuming they're true, but I've also heard of CRNAs that maybe have tried to not use opioids, getting themselves in trouble either with the administration or the physicians. Can you kind of talk to that a little bit? Because I think, you know, maybe some of our CRNAs, you know, my wife being a CRNA and we were talking about this, I mean, she doesn't get a lot of education around this. So, how can your average CRNA start to maybe employ some of these strategies without getting themselves in a situation that they're under the microscope or, you know, on the firing line? Sure. That's a, a great question. And that's something that a lot of people sort of run into. And I think the one thing that we have to understand and take a step back and think about a little bit is that you know, as the owner of a, an anesthesia group, you want to offer a consistent product to your surgeons, to your patients. And so while we don't want to dictate anyone's anesthesia care, we need to, you know, the, the people sort of who are in charge are looking to make sure that they have some quality assurances in place. And so, when someone starts doing something outside of the norm, that's very scary to them. That's seen as threatening their business. And so a lot of the sort of going into this, I think a lot of the key is good communication with the other people in your anesthesia group, with the surgeons, with the patients, providing them education on why this is the right way to go. Because if you just sort of surprise them with it, they're going to have a, a very sort of negative reaction. And the other thing that you can do in addition to that is there's certain patient populations that this is more impactful on. And so, you know, patients who have history of previous opioid addiction, patients with chronic pain, like we talked about earlier, obese patients, any sort of cancer patients, patients with high risk or history of postoperative nausea, vomiting. And so seek out those opportunities, those patients, those types of surgeries that 
you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Let the surgeon know what you're doing. Let your anesthesia colleagues know what you're doing. And when you find that opportunity where you're going to have this sort of exceptional result, these patients that typically really struggle with a, a traditional anesthetic and all of a sudden you provide this experience where they just sailed through it and exceeded everyone's expectations, and then they're going to be more open to it. And as you sort of establish that, you know, that opioid-free anesthesia works really well in these instances, then people are going to start just naturally applying it to other areas, to other surgeries, other patient groups. And when you sort of develop this reputation of, oh, he's the guy to go to for that patient with chronic pain. He's the guy to go to for that really difficult anesthetic. You're going to find doors opening up for you. So do you have any final thoughts about opioid-free anesthesia or SOFA that you would like to tell our listeners? Well, absolutely. We have... Tons of information on our webpage, which is goopioidfree.com. We have a conference coming up the end of October. If you're interested in learning more, uh, you can find the information to that on our webpage. We are always available for any questions that people might have. Feel free to reach out to us. You can email us at info at goopioidfree.com. And, you know, if you're an anesthesia provider, if this is something that has interested you, we would love to help you out and to get you going doing your your first opioid-free anesthesia, anesthetic, rather, because this is truly really a game changer in terms of anesthetic technique and patients all over the country and really all over the world are experiencing the benefits from this. And so... This is something that all anesthesia providers need to learn how to do. And so we would love to, to help you get started on that path. Great. Wow, that was just a word salad right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's late in the day, Tom. <laughs> well, oh, have mercy. Well, Tom, we appreciate you being on today. And thank you for all this additional knowledge for our listeners about opioid-free anesthesia. And now they've got a resource. They're going to hear it one more time. And eventually, you know, maybe uh, this will be the norm for anesthesia providers. So... Well, Sharon, Absolutely. I, th- I think that's a wrap for today. We want to thank Tom for being on, and we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley. Sharon and Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, and until next time. It's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else that streams podcasts. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. 
If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. 